I invite you to uh, take your Bible out, um, your electronic Bible on your phone, if you have that. You can uh, look in a seat around you if you did not bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible um, at home, uh, please come see me after the worship service, and I would love to give you one. I invite you to take your Bible out, turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So in the New Testament, pretty close to the end of the Bible, if you're looking for 1 Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so big number uh, is 15, and we're going to start with verse 3. And the Apostle Paul, actually, we're going to read from the beginning of the the, the chapter. So verse 1, beginning of 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I, the Apostle Paul, want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I have preached to you, otherwise you will have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, the the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Last week we talked about the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead, and he appeared to many people and made them witnesses. Today I want to ask you... um, I want to ask you this, how, that's the gospel, that's the good news, how how vigorously does that beat in your heart, that gospel? Um, Does does it beat at all? That's a a fair question. Like, does that that do anything in in, in your heart um, at all? Maybe you think, well, that's great news. That, sure, great. Thank you for giving me that good news. So what? Uh, maybe it beats a little softly, kind of like, yeah, that that sounds like it's 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 really good, but I I, I I don't I don't know what real difference that makes in my my daily life. Uh, that's my question. What difference does the gospel make in your life? And let me suggest this. The difference it makes will depend on how personally you connect the gospel with your life, like that you believe this is good news for me, that that I can receive this promise, that it's it's for me. How can you know that the gospel is for you? 
you can know because of God's grace. That's what we're going to look at today. The grace of God that provides assurance that the gospel is for you. And I want to look at three things from this scripture about grace, God's grace, and how God's grace makes the gospel come alive to you. I'm going to give you three things about God's grace. Um, One, if you want to fill in these in the notes, one, God's grace chooses us. How can you know the gospel is for you? In verses 6 and 7, Paul identifies people that Jesus, the risen Jesus, appeared to. And some of the names are, they're kind of the no-brainers, the no-surprisers. Peter, um, the, the, the other disciples. No, you know, of course, we would expect that. Um, James, the half-brother of Jesus. That makes sense. Jesus would appear to his half-brother. And then 500 other um, disciples or people that were following Jesus. So some, think of some of the names. Perhaps, I mean, we don't know this for sure, but perhaps Martha, Mary, those friends of Jesus, their brother Lazarus, perhaps. Um, uh, Zacchaeus, who knows? I mean, there were other people that were following Jesus than, than, than the, the 12 disciples. So Jesus appeared to, to them. But let me tell you who nobody would have expected Jesus to appear to, and that is the Apostle Paul. And Paul admits that. And that's what he says in verse 8 when he says, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And that word, it's actually for abnormally born. I, I don't want to make too much of it today, but it's, it was really a shocking word. It was, I mean, it was the word for abortion, like an abortion, like, like an aborted birth. Just this. So imagine Paul writing that of himself. That, that I was, I, would, I mean, I don't want to say he was saying like I'm an abortion, but just this unnatural, shocking thing for Jesus to have appeared to Paul. Um, and of course, the reason nobody thought Jesus would appear to and call Paul was because Paul persecuted, we know this from other parts of the Bible, that he persecuted Christians. Uh, before Paul became a Christian, he was persecuting them. He, he would find Christians and make sure they were thrown in jail. He, when some, some of them were executed, stoned, and he gave his approval. He's like, yeah, that's a good thing. Thumbs up on that. Um, So Christians who had known that Christ appeared to Paul would have just been, and not to like destroy him, but to to call him, they would have just been disturbed, shocked. Listen, God chooses us, and what we see through the example of Paul, is God is not looking for something that we would look for. and We would expect, okay, Christ, I'm calling people to follow me. Please submit your resume of your how good you are. That's what we would expect. God looks for much, much different things that we would expect him to look for in us when he chooses us. Uh, so the dangerous thing 
and, and it, it really is, it's, it's, it really is dangerous, is that we can exchange the true gospel for fake gospels. Um, and you may not have thought of people coming up with fake gospels, but, but I think people do it all the time. Let me give you an example. Um, how about uh, uh, coming up with the, the good news of good looks? And do you think that the people think that, that that's a good news? Like, if you're born with good looks, if you've got good looks, that's good news? I mean, think about our culture. Think about American culture. I, I think there are people that believe that's good news. I got good looks, that's good news. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's a fake gospel, okay? Um, how about the good news of a good job and good income? I mean, it is nice to have good income. But is that like great news that really gets your heart pounding? For some people, it does. That's a, that, that's a false gospel. That's a fake gospel. It's dangerous to believe that that's the real good news. How about the, the gospel of good reputations, having a good reputation, um, making good investments that pay off? That's good news. So people are always looking for good news, and the danger is when we make false gospels. Now, let's bring this back to what God is looking for when he chooses us. We start, we can think that God is looking for the same things that we're looking for in life, right? God's looking for people who have their act together, the good news of having your act together. God must be looking for people who have their act together. The good news of being devoted to God. God's looking for people who are devoted to him. That's why he chooses you. That's not the gospel. Our hearts quickly go to these can, to these false gospels. We start thinking that God is looking for these certain attributes in us that would make us stand out above everyone else. And that's why he chooses us. And that is not what God looks, looks for. Uh, it happens in the church. It happens with me, Pastor Greg, because um, I can really get hung up the gospel of a good sermon, a good sermon, well preached. That's good news. It seemed like it was a good sermon. And then the next week, oh, that sermon was lousy. And <laughs> teachers, we can think of the, the, the gospel of a, a great lesson, a great Sunday school class lesson. Wow, God must be just pleased with me that I was able to come up with that great lesson, and the next week, oh, what happened? What happened to my lesson? My good lesson? It's it's gone. Um, don't build your life following false gospels, thinking that God is looking for these these great successes or these great attributes in you. That is not why God chooses you. That is not what makes God pleased with you. Thank goodness that's not uh, God is not pleased with me based on the sermons or the, the lessons or whatever it is. Listen, I want to, let me show you one of my favorite scriptures. It's from Psalm 147, and it shows us what God delights in. And again, we think that God delights in, oh, our successes, what we're really good at, our strengths. That is not what God delights in. This is what Psalm 147 says. That God's pleasure is not in the strength of the horse. God's pleasure 
His delight is not in the legs of the warrior. That what, what gives the lawyer, warrior his strength? You know, a strong horse or strong legs. No, the Lord delights in those who do what? Who fear him, who humble themselves before him. And the Lord delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. So grace is what God offers you when you come to him, not strong but weak. When you come to him, not full but empty. When you come to God, uh, not having stuff to give, to offer, like my strong legs or my strong sermons, my strong Bible study lessons. No, but when we come completely depending on and needing God's love, that is what God delights in when we come to him, trusting in his unfailing love. So don't live in a world of fake good news. The good news is God chooses us through grace, not because of what we bring to the table. He delights when we come empty to him and say, God, I need your unfailing love. So grace chooses us, and grace, this is the second thing about grace, grace changes us. If I believe the gospel, and it doesn't change me, I have not understood the gospel. In verse 10, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. By the way, that is Paul. It's a... It's, Paul using a rhetorical device to say, there was a great effect in my life because of God's grace. Now, you may say, I am what I am in another way. You could say, yeah, listen, I am what I am. This is, this is who I am. I'm not changing. I can't change. I've tried changing. I, it, it, I am who I am. Paul says, no. Through God's grace, I now am who I am. I've been changed by God's grace. How does God's grace change us? Four ways, and these aren't the only four ways, but here's four ways that God's grace changes us. Uh, One, grace is not permissive, nor is it condemning. Uh, We do not receive this glorious truth that Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins, so that we can keep remaining in our sin. Grace does not say, hey, your sin has been forgiven, so don't worry, it's no big deal. Grace is not permissive, but it's not condemning. Grace says you are not condemned because of your sins. Now, go and sin no more. So grace is not permissive, nor is it condemning. Two, God's grace reveals how imperfect you really are. Uh, Think about how Paul was imperfect. How was Paul imperfect? Uh, If you look at it through the measurement of the law, the Jewish law, the letter of the law, Paul was 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 as about as perfect as you could get. I mean, he was obeying the letter of the law flawlessly. 
So how was God imperfect? I'm sorry, how was Paul imperfect? He was imperfect because he was hating Christians, right? He was full of hatred. That is how Paul was imperfect. He hated Christians so much that he didn't mind seeing them put to death. Paul would say, good riddance, because I see you as an enemy of mine that opposes what I stand for. That is how Paul was imperfect. Paul thought he was perfect, but when Christ appeared to him, he had to learn to repent. And what did he learn to have to learn to repent of? His, his righteousness, his belief that, oh, it's by me living perfectly in the letter of the law that I'm right with God. No, he had to repent from that. He had to repent from his self-righteousness, in other words. So grace will help you realize how imperfect you really are. Are there people that you think, yeah, these are my enemies. Yeah, that's an enemy of mine. Are there groups of people that you think, yeah, they are my enemies. These, these, they are enemies to what I hold to be true. Are there people that you see like that? Are there, are there people that you think, you know what, this world would be a better place if they weren't here? <laughs> or my life would be a better life if they weren't here? I, I, I bet you could come up with, I bet you could come up with some people that you see as your enemies. Um, Me too. And let me suggest, that's not far from Paul. (laughs) That's not far from the attitude that Paul had to repent of. Grace is God's kindness towards you that comes to you even though in you are in your heart you are hating other people that is god's grace and when you because that's what happened to paul god's grace appeared to paul while he was hating christians but when god's grace came to paul he learned how imperfect he was and he was able to repent and what was replaced what replaced his hatred was, was kindness towards others. And that's what grace does in our life. It comes to us even though there's hatred in our heart. And when we realize that, that God still gives us his grace, our hatred can be replaced with kindness towards our enemies. Three, grace changes us through love. One way that I've heard grace described, and I think this is a good way, is that grace is God's love in action. It's God's love toward, towards us, and it, 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 it activates stuff. It, it, it makes stuff happen. It, it's love and action. Um, how, how do you get someone to change, to really change? Uh, how do you get someone to obey? Let's, let's ask a, a slightly different question. How do you get someone to obey? There can be many ways that you can get someone to obey and there not be any change in their life. Getting someone to obey is more difficult to get 
is much more easier to get than, than to get someone to change. For example, um, say you want your child to clean their room. There's a mess in there. That's my child's room. It needs to get clean. I don't want to be the one doing it. How do you get your child to clean their room? There's lots of motivators. You can be motivated by fear, can't you? Um, if you don't clean your room, there you will be punished. That Your friend's birthday party that's coming up this Saturday, you won't be at it if you don't clean your room. Okay, that, That's a, a fear motivation. Uh, you can be motivated by reward. Um, if you clean your room... I will take you out for ice cream afterwards. If you clean your room, I've got a I've got a five dollar bill with your name on it. Well, that's not enough. <laughs> you need ten. Okay, so we can be re- motivated by rewards. Um, we can be motivated um, to obey out of like improved self image, like. Man, I got a friend coming over, and my room is a disaster. And if he sees my room like this, he's going to think I'm a slob. So I'm going to clean it so that they're going to think better of me. Well, that could be a motivator. Um, but don't you see, with all of those motivations, there isn't really any change going on inside. I'm, I'm obeying to avoid something bad, or to get something good. There is a motivator for obedience that does lead to interchange. What is it? Well, it's love. It's coming uh, coming alongside your child and saying, let me tell you, let me tell you, I love you so much. I am so delighted in you. You need to know that I, you delight my heart. I love you so much. Your room, it needs cleaning. Would you mind cleaning your room? Would you mind cleaning? Parents, I don't know if that's ever worked. I don't know. But I think it would work. I think if you tried that, it would work. There is a motivator that can change our hearts, and it is love. And it can move us to obedience. In other words, when we're no longer obeying because of self-serving reasons. We obey because our hearts have been changed by someone's love towards us. Now, that's the power of God's grace, love and action in our life. God says, I love you. I am so delighted in you. Yeah, your room's a mess but I love you so much. And that, 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 that love that is not deserved can change our hearts. Four, how does grace change us? Grace gives you a new chance. Grace gives you a new life. Um, so think about the baptisms we, we had earlier. Nina and Kara's baptism. When we are baptized, we, we are uniting ourselves. We are being united with Jesus' death. 
and also you're united with his resurrection. So look at this from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Longer little passage for us to read through. But this is what Paul writes. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. No. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In other words, we have died. That's what one of the things that baptism is a sign of, that we have died. We've been buried with Christ, but we don't stay there. We've been resurrected to new life. That's what Paul writes. We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Grace gives you a new chance, a new life. Ah, What does Paul write in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? Some of you know this verse, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I really have died with Christ. And it is now no longer I who live. But it's Christ living in me. How can you say that? Because you got a new life. So the gospel is about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is something that happens for us, right? It happens for us. We are saved through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. That's wonderful news. But let me, let me suggest something else. And, and, and I think in America, we Christians think of Jesus' death and resurrection happening for us a ton, what we don't often think of as much, nearly as much as ancient Christians would have thought of this, is that Jesus' death and, death and resurrection also happens to us. And when you really believe the gospel, you share in Jesus' death. You have died. We talked about this last week. If you missed last week's sermon on this, you want to listen to it, find it online. But um, when you are a Christian, you have identified, you have died with Christ, and you share in Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus' death and resurrection happens for us, but it also happens to us. And now we have Jesus in us, shaping us, giving you real power. Now, I am not talking about weird spirituality, dying and rising. That's not weird spirituality. That is real Christianity. And what Christianity is, it's having Jesus Christ in you, his spirit in you, living in you, giving you a new life, giving you real power. Now, Back to the, the question, does the gospel, does it, does, it, does it affect you? How does it affect you? Let me, you've, got the, you've got the risen Savior living in you right now if you're a Christian. Does that make you want to just kind of, I don't know, get up out of your seat a little bit? You know, just kind of, yeah, that's great news. You've got the risen Savior in you. Does it make you want to face your week with a little more gusto this week because you know that you have the risen Christ living in you? Does it want to make you have a different focus this week? How about enjoying that relationship that you have with the risen Savior who is in you just a little bit more? That is 
how the gospel can be real to you. Well, of course, uh, we, we, sh- we should live, live differently. We, sh- we should be changed by grace. Um, and, and it, it kind of leads us to our third point, and it's this. Grace charges us. It changes us, but then it charges us. It says, this, is, this change, it, it's happened. Now, live it. We are changed by Jesus' resurrection so that we can bear witness to Jesus' resurrection. We are changed by Jesus' resurrection so that we can now go out and live these resurrected lives and people will say, wow, this, this Christianity stuff, that's real because I see it in that person there, a resurrected life. Um, look at what Paul says in verse 10. Uh, Paul, he's talking about the grace, the effect that grace had on his life. And the effect of grace is this, that I worked harder than all of them, all of the, the other disciples, um, the, the rest of the apostles, who Paul knew were much more reasonably chosen by Christ. Like they weren't going around trying to kill Christians, right? Like Paul was... Was I worked harder than all of them, yet it wasn't I, but it was the grace of God that was with me. So the effect, that the charge that grace had on Paul was, is he worked really hard, but it wasn't him working really hard. It was, it was God's grace in him. Grace gives us I'm going to give you two words of how grace, God's grace charges us. It gives us passion and it gives us power. Grace charges us by giving us passion. Um, what are you passionate about with your life? If you were to study your actions and your words, the words that you say, the words that you live by, what is the passionate message of your life? We give a message through our life, through the way we live. What what are you revealing to others about your passionate message to the world? Um, Here are some possible messages that we give to the world through our actions. How about this? Um, Get more stuff. How about that as a passionate message? Do you see see people living by that passionate, passionate message today? Get more stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, what's what's the passionate passionate message of your life? Is it, hey, get out there and vote Democrat. Get out there and vote Republican. Vote Independent. Vote this way. People can act like that's their passionate message of their life. Um, here's another passionate passionate message we hear today. Express yourself. That's the message I live by. Express yourself. Whatever feels good to you, that is what you should do. There's a lot of people that proclaim that as the passionate passionate message of their life. How about this as a passionate message that some people live by? Be impressive. Impress others. What's the passionate message that you live by? Is it the gospel? Is it this? Is this the passionate message that you live by? 
Christ is crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. And he has been resurrected from the dead. And in Christ, you can share in Jesus' resurrection and live without fear. That's the gospel. That could be your passionate message. Paul says in verse 11, whether then, I'm working hard. I know the other other apostles, they're working hard too, but I'm working really hard. It's God's grace in me that's helping me work hard at proclaiming the gospel. It says in verse 11, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, this gospel. This is what you believe. He's saying whether it's them preaching it or the gospel or me preaching it, it's fine. I just want the gospel message preached. I just care that the gospel is preached. You see, God has put you into this world so that you could proclaim the passionate message of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected and that there is new life available through Christ. So God's grace gives us passion charges us by giving us passion, and God's grace charges us by giving us power. By giving us power. We show the power of the resurrection more than with our words. We can speak about the resurrection. We show the power of the resurrection more than just with our words. We show it with our life. You show the world the resurrection of Christ when you show them, I have a new life. And it's grace that gives us that new life. And Jesus did not die and get raised from the dead so that we could go around living like defeated individuals, stuck in our sin. Jesus was not raised from the dead so that we could be stuck in our bad tempers, uh, in our giving into temptation, Jesus did not get raised from the dead so that we could be stuck in dishonest practices or dishonest words. Jesus was raised from the dead so that we could share in his resurrected life. And and you may think, ah, I just keep getting stuck in my sin and my ways. I I, I am what I am. It's all that I am. Paul says, no, by the grace of God, you Now are what you are, a changed man, a changed woman, a changed person. Now, Paul may have had to show some effort. In fact, he said that. I'm I'm, I'm given a ton of effort. Listen, it's been said about grace. This is a great line about grace. I don't know who came up with it. I've heard several people say it. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning So this changed life and this charged life, we do show effort, but God provides the power. I remember in 2008, Hurricane Ike, we were living in northwest Houston, not here in Clear Lake. Damage was less up there. But we did lots, lose lots of fences, and some guys from our church got together, and let's go rebuild some fences. That sounds great. I'm going to do that. So I was part of the fence-building crew. And, uh, you know, I have some tools. And I brought my little garden-variety hammer that 
everyone has in their garage somewhere. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wearing myself out banging these nails and these two by fours. I mean, I, my arm is like about to fall off. <laughs> I'm working so hard, and the nails are they're they're they're, they're just not going in, right? And um, and then a friend of mine says, "Hey, why don't you try this?" And he gave me his twenty ounce or twenty two ounce carpenter's hammer. And oh my, just the nails, they just flew into those boards once I started using that hammer instead of that little cheapie that I had brought. Um, it was great. Yeah, I had to pick it. I had to show some effort. I had to pick it up and swing it. But listen, the power of driving all those nails and those boards was from that hammer. And listen, receiving resurrection power, the power to, to change and have a new life, if, if you are worn out and stuck, God says, okay, why don't you try using this hammer <laughs> instead? And what kind of hammer does God give us? Oh, my. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, he doesn't use the word hammer, but this is what he's saying. I want you to know the hammer that God gives to you to live a resurrected life. And this is what he says. God gives this to you. Verse 19, his incomparably great power for us. He's given it to us, those of us who believe. What is that power? It is the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You have that resurrection power of Jesus in you. That is your hammer that you get to use. Yeah, a little effort on your part to swing it, but it provides all the power, resurrection power living in you. And here's how you use that hammer. You keep turning to God. You keep looking at him. All right, so are, are, are you living in fear? Are you living in anxiety? That, that happened... To me, and still, I have to fight against that. But here's how you fight against fear and anxiety. You keep looking at God who gave his life for you. You keep turning to God. Are you fighting against being just vengeful from other, of others and, and holding on to anger? How, how, do you, how do you fight against that? You keep looking to the God who says, listen, I'm going to make everything right in the end. You, you, can, you can release that anger. I will take, I, I, I'm going to make it okay. You can give that to God. You keep looking at God. Are you struggling with that addiction? You're like, oh, I keep doing the, this, and I know it's, you, you, you keep, what do you do to fight against that? You, you keep looking to the, to the God who loves you, who chose you, who calls you to live for him, and you choose God. You keep looking to him. You feel like you've made some bad choices in life, and you and, and are you stuck in kind of pessimism about life? What do you do to fight against that? Well, you keep looking to God, the God who says, "Listen, your future belongs to me. Your future is in my hands." You keep looking to that God. Do you do you feel shame in relationships, shame in a marriage, and it's like there's just a big wedge because I feel just such shame about what I've done. Listen, you keep looking at God who says, "I have forgiven you." And I am delighted in you, and you are not defined by your past mistakes. 
That's how we wield that resurrection hammer that God has put in us. We keep looking to God when we're facing these struggles. You keep looking to God and you use His power to live that new life. So in the gospel is that Jesus is risen from the dead. And if you believe in Him, you've been raised from the dead too. And you have God's power in you. Now go out and live in His power. Because there is a world that is watching and a world that is famished because it's been feeding itself on these false gospel messages. And it needs to see the power of the risen Jesus living inside of you. Let's let's pray together. And I want you to ask yourself, where, where do I need to use this resurrection power of God inside of me to fight against sin, to fight against the struggle, to fight against shame, to fight against disbelief, to to, to fight against hopelessness. And listen to what the Lord would, would say to you when you ask Him that. Where, God, do I need to fight against this old life and embrace this new life through your power. And I want you to commit yourself to living in God's power and to keep looking towards God and trusting in God and relying on God's delight in you. And a second question is is the gospel, does it really make a difference in my life? And if it's no, because I don't believe the gospel. But my gosh, it sounds really good and I want to believe. I want you to just in your thoughts with God say, God, will you help me to believe this gospel? It's good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, forgiving me of my sins and giving me power to live this resurrected life. May I do that now? Father, we, we, we thank you that we are not alone, that you are with us, and that your son died for us so that we could be changed people, so that we could live forever with you, so that we could live without fear and live for you and to help bring new life to others. Give us your power now. Change us. Help us live with hope and excitement and joy about what you are doing in our life. 
and what you will do through our lives in this world. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.